Well, good day and welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the pod medic, and we are going to be uh, bringing in a guest from across the Atlantic for our show tonight. So we're actually recording a little bit earlier than usual, but we were able to corral um, some of our meteorologists and, and um get together a group to, to really have a nice discussion tonight. So I'm looking forward to that. Of course, before we can do any of that, we have to head out to Colorado and bring in Sam Bradley. Hey, Sam. Hey there. Well, I don't have to ask how the weather is everywhere, including with our guest. It's hot, but I guess, you know, it's the end of July and beginning of August. So, but, you know, we're going to talk about and everything that's going on there. And again, I'm just looking at my phone and I get the severe weather alert heat advisory. Yeah, no kidding. Um, in any case, Dan, why is this happening? Why is it so hot? Well, as you said, Sam, it certainly is summer. So we do expect heat in the summer. But I think the thing to keep in mind here with what's um, occurred across a lot of Europe um, over the last week and a half um, and has also to some extent, it hasn't been maybe as significant in the United States in the last uh, several weeks, but it's been a really record-breaking stretch of temperatures in a lot of the world, and in Europe especially, where uh, there were just numerous records that were set. We sort of think about records as daytime like or just uh, daily records, so like the maximum temperature that was ever reached on that day. There's monthly records, the hottest temperature in a month, and there's all-time record, the hottest temperature it's ever been. Um, and in the case of um, a lot of the UK and, and Germany and other parts of uh, Northern Europe, uh, it really was the hottest it had ever been in recorded history. And that goes back over 100 years in many cases. So um, pretty impressive um, event and a very dangerous event, too. Heat really, uh, unfortunately, leads to a lot of fatalities um, and, and other uh serious concerns. And I, at last count, I think there were over 2,000 uh, fatalities attributed to the heat wave in Europe. Ouch. Miss Becky, anything to add? Um, I mean, along with the heat, the, these types of heat waves can often spark wildfires. And so there have been deadly wildfires in France, Portugal, Spain, and Greece. There was a, a pretty viral video um, of a train stopped uh, on the tracks because of fire and, you know, it's just a passenger train and these passengers, passengers are looking out the window at the forest just on fire next to them. Um, thankfully that train ended up being okay, but there's a lot of the implications that, that can come when you have heat to this, to this magnitude, you know, you don't only have the, the dangers of heat and heat related illnesses, but you also have the potential for very dangerous and deadly wildfires in a lot of areas that have already dealing with drought and we're talking about people that aren't, aren't as used to dealing with those kind of things that we are dan you want to talk a bit about um how this happened from a meteorology standpoint yeah i, I think you know as we say that heat is common in summer and there's been many heat waves in the uk and other parts of europe and, and, and throughout all of history. Um, I think what's unique about this one, obviously, is the temperatures that were reached, which, again, was the first time that places in the UK have ever been over 40 Celsius or 104 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and what really occurred in this situation is the jet stream, which is that stream of air that uh, is about the altitude that planes fly at that transports different storm systems around the world. Um, there was a large kink in the jet stream, and that bulged pretty far north, and that allowed a lot of the hot air over Africa to really rush northward, um, much farther north than is typical. And that was similar to what we saw in the Pacific Northwest of the United States last summer, in the summer of 2021, that caused the all-time record temperatures in places like Portland 
and Seattle. Uh, so a, a similar situation from an atmospheric setup in both of those cases, obviously in different, different parts of the world. Wow. Interesting. Jamie, comment? Well, I was just going to say that the, the thing that brought us to this episode tonight was um, looking at like some of the messaging I was seeing coming out of Northern Europe and specifically the UK, um, where they were issuing um, specific guidance and warnings that had never been issued for heat-related situations before. Um, and so I thought it was great to reach out to our community and um, bring our friend um, Chris Chapman back on to um, to talk about it. So I just wanted to kind of give some of the background of why I thought it might be important for us to, to kind of talk about this because we talk about messaging all the time with relate with relation to storms and tornadoes, um, hurricanes, things like that. Um, and, and we have heat messaging here in the United States as well. Um, but, you know, this is can be a much more severe problem in a place that doesn't have widespread use of, of air conditioning in homes and, and places like that. So um, I'll, I'll kind of feed it back over to you, Sam, to bring Chris in. But I just wanted to kind of give some of the background of why I thought this might be a great topic to hit on. Exactly. And those are some of the things that we're going to talk about that you just mentioned. Chris, you want to introduce yourself for those that haven't heard you before, because we have had you on before, but it's been a while. Hi, everyone. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. So, yeah, Chris Chapman, uh, I'm a, an emergency planner based over in the UK and chair of the Professional Health Working Group for the Emergency Planning Society, which uh, is a group of professionals that, we, you know, we come together and we share learning and best practice uh, across across the UK and, and wider. And it, it's great to be on. And yeah, I saw, I saw the, the message that Jamie put up on the uh, podcast Facebook group, and, and it really sort of struck home around the messaging. But before I start, and, you know, these are exceptional temperatures we've seen, but I just really want to say, you know, what an amazing job. And thank you to all of our fire service, for services, emergency services, and our wider resilience form partners for the shift they have put in over the last week, the footage coming out of areas like London, North Norfolk and, and wider where field fires then were going through towns. That's not footage, uh, towns and villages, you know, that's not footage we're used to seeing. And they were going from job to job and, and a number of our fire services declared major incidents just by the sheer number of jobs that were coming through to them. So, you know, absolute credit to them and, and thank you. And my heart goes out to all of those that have lost homes and, and have been affected. You know, it, it is devastating what's happened to them. Well, that's kind of the main thing I wanted to grab onto here, and and and, and these guys have both mentioned it, uh, Dan and Jamie, that you know we're much more prepared for this kind of thing. Certainly, wildfires, and you guys don't see this as often, especially when it's heat related. So, how did the UK quickly realize that this was a problem and, and it figured out how to management. I, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear they're doing a good job at it, but what are they actually doing? So if, if, if we look at sort of the, the risk of heat in the UK, I mean, our temperature envelope is somewhere between a minus 10 and about 35 degrees C, and we don't see that very often. You know, in July, in my neck of the woods, the average temperature over the last 30 is about 22 and a half degrees centigrade. So, you know, we get a high 20s temperature, early 30s, and it's it's a, yeah, a, amazing weather. We get it for a few days and, and it moves on. Um, this week, we saw temperatures nearly 40 degrees C. Um, and we've been in a period of prolonged uh, dry weather for, for some time. And, you know, all of these things build up. And in, in the UK and you know, way, way back when in I think it was 2018, I last came on, spoke briefly about our local resilience forum structure. And, you know, we come together um, 
in uh, local resilience forums to discuss these issues. All of the partners, you know, those with the blue line, police, fire, ambulance, uh, coast guard, uh, those of us in the health service uh, to come come together. And, and I should say, you know, when I'm talking about 40 degrees C, that's, that's about 104 Fahrenheit. Um, yeah, that's, that's hot. Um, yeah, we figured that out. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I realize I talk in Celsius. Uh, yeah, no, you don't have to accommodate us. You don't have to accommodate us, Chris. We're the we're the idiots that can't get with the metric system. So, yeah, no kidding. You know, it it does it does sort of uh, you know, but it's an even scarier number when you talk about it being 104. You know, it, it it's just a crazy number uh, for 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 the UK. So we we do lots of planning and and we have our heat health alerts and. Uh, uh, the Met Office's uh, severe weather warning service. So the heat health alert is is based worked with the UK Health Security Agency and the Met Office, and and that gives us when thresholds are going to be broken around temperatures. So for us, um, the threshold in the east of England is consecutive days where it's over 30 degrees centigrade and stays over 15 C. So that you know that's warm, and over a couple of days, you know that allows for the dehydration. And I know we've got medic that listen to this and you know yeah, medics yeah board, that's so, a know, good I, I am not so ju- so ju- jump in you know you know but um when we, we talk about it, it stays hot you know and you, you get the dehydration you get that that cardiovascular stress that can can build up over that time um when we step into like these really high temperatures though it's really easy to get dehydrated now i'm you know fit reasonably healthy you know was conscious eh? Effort to keep drinking in those temperatures because my 1914 mid terrace house is made out of brick and is designed for temperatures in 1914. It's not designed for 40 degrees Celsius. You know, it gets once it's warm, it's warm. Um, it takes a long time to cool down. We don't have the aircon, so it's all about that planning. We know our risk levels. We know where we're going to look, and then it's about the public messaging and, and equally being really careful with that public messaging because we don't want to over nanny people. There's nothing worse than you know being told, "Oh, you must do this constantly, constantly," because people stop listening. It's a bit like you know when when you're at home and and, and your parents are telling you be in by eight and everything like. Yeah, eventually it's just you know no, I can't do anything I want. So you've got to gauge it carefully. We've got to think about how we're going to continue working for those that have to. And, and it's about safety messages, giving people the, the information to make the right decisions, um, but equally looking out for ourselves and each other. Uh, the well, messaging into the health service, those things. Well, I'm sure that, that Becky's finding this interesting because she's very much into messaging, But I and I'm glad that piece is working. But what what do people do when they don't have air conditioning? So, you know, co- co- conversely for us, fans uh, in the uk <laughs> yeah i mean i made myself an air conditioning unit with my desk fan by placing uh, an ice pack underneath it and uh, re- re- relied on that to cool the air but uh, i think conversely you know the messaging that is quite hard to get out to people is you know first thing in the morning close your windows tight shut them down draw the curtains and just wait it out your, your house will still be cooler than outside and then if it cools down at night open them up I have to say, Monday night, it didn't cool down much for us. It was still 25 or so degrees outside. So you open the windows, it's 25 degrees outside, 25 degrees inside. And, you know, we were rolling, we were at 30 degrees centigrade before 10 o'clock in the morning. I mean, these are these are staggering facts and figures and numbers that we just have not seen for a very long time. And I think, sadly, with climate change, we will increasingly see. Um, so, you know, it's, it's about that. Yeah, we were wondering, is, is, you know, 
is this likely to happen again? I don't know, Dan, what do you think? Is this a real anomaly or is this likely to happen in the UK again? I, I, I unfortunately think it's going to become more common. That's what most of our climate models that different cli- you know that that scientists look at tell us is that these types of events that are not just over 35 C in parts of northern Europe, but that are over 40 C is is going to become more common as we head into the later to you know the the, the second half of this century. And that really is a, is a problem for all the reasons that that Chris stated because of the you know the buildings not designed. There's not as much there's not as much air conditioning. I think also to put this in context for people who are in the U.S. I think we have to remember too that Europe is much farther north in latitude in terms of where they are on the Earth. Right. Um, London is at 51 degrees north, uh, which is about the same latitude as Calgary, Canada. Uh, so it's farther north than all of the United States is. So it, 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 that puts into context, too, of how impressive uh, these these temperatures are. And also the fact that the that the U.K. is an island, right? It's surrounded entirely by water. And in, t- in general, it's a pretty temperate climate. So it's pretty impressive to get this type of heat that far north. Yeah, well, having been to the UK, it seemed to rain all the time. Are you getting any rain at all, Chris? Uh, yeah, we, we we get a lot of rain, but no, actually. So this this month, last month, as as I sort of said in my bit of intro, um, the, our, our environment agency has recently declared that we're in a period of prolonged dry weather, which is is the preceder to you know things things getting worse. We've had less rainfall this year than we'd expect. And what we're seeing, and and again, you know, Dan, Becky, you know, you you'll understand the science better than I will, is that we seem to be seeing drier, drier periods. That then, when it breaks, it breaks with a heavy downpour and a storm, and then it goes dry again. And in the winter, we're seeing sort of drier, drier winters as well. We 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 are seeing a change. Uh, I was before I came on, I was having a look at the the average temp, the thirty year average temperature, so I could get get you that sort of seventy two and a half Fahrenheit average temperature for us. You know that. That has been creeping up in every 30-year average. You know, we are we are now seeing those impacts. And you know, if efforts was a sign that climate change is real, you know, and it is probably our biggest risk and our next threat multiplier. You know, it doesn't matter what your risks are; it just makes things a bit worse, and it just makes everything a bit more challenging. And, and I do think, you know, that this is what we're going to be facing. This is this is going to be it. And how do we manage it? You know, we don't see 40 degree C every week, thankfully. Um, but when we get it, it's disruptive. It's like when we get heavy snow. We don't see it very often, but when we get it, it's disruptive. I mean, I, I, I live on the east coast of um, the UK and you know, our, our climate is fairly fairly uh, temperate, fairly mild. We don't get the big rain that you might see up in Scotland or on, on the west coast. I mean, we don't really get the snow that you might see in the hills unless, of course, you know, we get uh, what we call a beast from the east where the wind comes straight out of uh, Russia in our direction over the North Sea and gets really cold. So it's it's very rare. And as these rare events are becoming more regular, the messaging needs to be more, more sensible. You know, that you, you talk about things being a one in a hundred year event. Well, people have it happen to them once. They don't expect it for another hundred years until it happens the following year. And this is where, you know, the messaging for this is really, really important. And, you know, I, I believe quite passionately in it is that, you know, we've not got to be careful not to over nanny. and and give people that, you know, you must do, why aren't you doing, and, and keep nagging them. But we've really got to, you know, give them the information to, to make informed decisions with, you know, and, and be able to do that and help people to come to it. It's it's not everyone is is lucky enough to be as resilient as perhaps maybe I am. You know, some people are, are less able. Um, they might not be able to move around. They might not have local friends and family to help them. They might have nowhere else to go if, if something terrible does happen. So, 
you know, as emergency planners, the duty is on us to make sure that we are equitable and able to get those messages to people and help them, but help those that need it, you know, and, and focus our effort. It's a, it, it is interesting. It's fascinating. And it really has opened up how we how, how we do things. And, you know, we've had two days of high heat. The pandemic is still going. You know, COVID cases are on the rise again. Um, so, you know, we've got COVID impacts on the hospital. We've got heat impacts. It, it just keeps layering on. And that's what I think climate change is. And the heat's that threat multiplier. It's that extra challenge. Absolutely. Well, do you think your planning agencies are going to look at this differently and start making different choices for something like this if it happens again? Yeah, we already are. We already are. So as, as I said, we, we work in uh, local resilience forum uh, structure. So each police, they're based on police force areas, which are in the most part on our, on our counties, uh, but but not everywhere. Um, so, so our local resilience forum or in London our borough resilience forums are doing that planning it's where we come together to do it collectively so there isn't one agency doing the planning for everybody I meet every week with all of my resilience colleagues across the across the organizations in healthcare in, in the emergency services in our in our councils to to start doing this now this has just happened you know we're gonna look understand what happened we're gonna do some data analysis uh, and then we'll look at what it means and use it as a case study going forward there's evidence to inform our risk assessments at, and our planning but it's funny when people say adverse weather they they think about a foot of snow a flood um storm damage you know they, they, from winds that you know heat is is sort of the the un the underrepresented uh hazard there that we we've got to bring back up because people say you, you, you see the press the british press you know it's a barbecue summer it's a it's a boiler and there's pictures of everybody on the beaches but actually they're the people that can get out and about that's not the people around the corner um that can't leave the houses that may, may have a disability or you know big risk in dementia patients that can, can literally forget to drink if the, you know or need to be helped to you know be giving near them you know if they can't get out of the chair you know they need to have water next to them there's no good visiting them in the morning leaving them one cup of water and then coming back seven o'clock at night you know they've probably not got up all day so it's, it's it's really difficult but that's what this messaging's about that's what our heat wave planning is it's it's just drawing it to people's attention that yeah the weather gorgeous but just think about those extra risks how can we help each other how can we work uh, across the board and, you know and by doing that you know, we become more resilient it is right down to personal resilience as well as organizational resilience it, it's sort of all encompassing absolutely uh well i'm gonna throw this to the others but uh, you know on that note when we have situations like this, especially when it's over a period of time, we for the homeless and the people that don't have air conditioning, we have cooling centers that open up. Do you haven't have you been able to do anything like that for the people that well, even the people that don't have air, you know, which is most of you. Yeah, so, so a, co a colleague, uh, a colleague of mine um, who spent some time in uh, Canada actually uh, brought the, the idea of cooling centers to the to the table um, and I, I know some areas might have done it so we didn't locally um it's one of those things where on, on paper yes really good idea something we definitely want to do um, however uh, sort of short notice uh, to do that you, we've got to make sure we've got the medics there because we've all got out of a hot car into a, a air-conditioned unit and you can suddenly get that cold shock um now if you're a little bit vulnerable that can be you know you go from nearly 40 degrees outside to 20 degrees inside in four footsteps is quite a lot. Uh, and so 
I think it is on our radar of things to think about and consider, but this was two days of extreme heat. Yeah, and we've seen what that's done going forwards. I, I personally think it's something we need to pick up and work on um, as these events become more and more and we work out where we're going to do them. I mean, I, I certainly went into the office on Tuesday because it was air conditioned just to just to get some respite. It was it was uh, uh, oppressive, you know, at 38 degrees, I think it was in my back garden. Yeah, yes. Jamie, thoughts? No, I, I really think this is a fascinating discussion, and I'm really curious to hear what Becky's thoughts are on this because, you know, we, we talk about messaging all the time, and it is that, that careful balance between giving them actionable information uh, and tools to deal with the situation and not beating them over the head with the same information. Um, and that's a fine line to, to really walk, right, Bex? I, I mean, it is, and especially when it's something this unprecedented. Um, I, As we've been talking, I've been thinking about the event that happened in the Pacific Northwest and southwestern Canada last summer. Um, somewhat similar in altitude, but maybe slightly farther south. But again, it was, it was temperatures they had never experienced before. It was populations that were not equipped, did not have air conditioning, were you know, not at all able to tolerate heat of this kind. And it, the death toll, again, was in the thousands. And so I wonder if that's a you know, an event that can be used as a learning experience for you guys over there, Chris, and see what, you know, what the takeaways were both from messaging and communication, um, as well as, you know, things like cooling centers. Did they help? How did they, did it work to stand them up? Um, but the tricky part does come when it's a, a prolonged event like this, you know, the first day or two people are like, okay, you know, we can manage this, but as it, you know, as it goes on and as the nighttime temperatures don't cool down, it becomes more and more dangerous. And until you've experienced that, I think like most other major weather events, it's very hard to comprehend. Um, and so I, I think for better, I, I think unfortunately events like this have a pretty steep learning curve, um, at least on the individual level and what people can do to stay safe. And I think they'll do a lot of things differently next time. Chris, you want to comment back on that? Yeah, I do, and I absolutely agree. And certainly, what was in the northwest, uh, we we had a look at and had to discuss uh, in in the planning forums. Okay, what did it look like, and what what were they doing? And and like like you say, cooling centers would be great to get some. Uh, we need to something we need to dig into a bit deeper, and and it is there. But you know, the last two years, and this is this is the challenge we have as planners and. Uh, uh, and emergency responders, you know, we've had a small thing called COVID kicking around, which has eaten a lot of time. So, you know, things like this, which were, oh, you know, we're not there at the 40 degree centre, great things, you know. I, I saw a, uh, a news article um, that the Met Office uh, did a few years ago where they were talking about, you know, the temperature in 2050 being 40 degrees for a few days, you know, that, they did that last year or the year before, not for 2022. So, you know, we, this has come, come around quite quickly and, and a little bit about that messaging, Becky, it'll be interesting. Your thoughts really, you know, one of the things we hear a lot is, well, I go on holiday to 40 degree temperatures. You know, it's it's lovely and, and, and warm and, you know, we manage when we're, you know, when we're in the southern Spain. And and it's, it's it's that challenge that when you go on holiday to that, you go from an air conditioned bedroom to a pool to an air conditioned restaurant. You're not actually trying to live and work in it. And, and it is a big change, I think, for people and trying to assess that. And I'm looking forward to this as this rolls through and we start to get take the learning from it. Um, how how people's reactions might change when it happens again. You know, will they carry on like they did, or will they, you know, consider actually, no, this is pretty pretty tough for us, and we we need to make those changes. So, you know, we're 
we're still we're still coming out the back of it you know we're still still warm and this weekend we're back up into the 30s again in potentially in suffolk so you know we're, we're staying warm for a few weeks now um which i think well hot you know 30 degrees is hot so uh, uh yeah let's find out what what happens in that learning and like you said becky it's, it's about grabbing those international examples which are now more relevant i think uh dan any thoughts from you Oh, sorry, I missed the question. I got a little, it broke up there a little bit for me. No, we're just asking if you have any thoughts on what's being discussed here. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I think that, you know, I, I think there's a lot of different interesting pieces to this conversation. Um, you were talking about the the uh, heat specifically this time. You know, we were talking about, uh, Chris mentioned the uh, that people go take a vacation to where it's going to be hot and that's you know it's only for a few days probably and you're obviously in a controlled environment with air conditioning um i think it's um you know similar in the u.s too where we don't even necessarily need to get 40 c where even just temperatures in the 90s like we're having in the northeast united states the next couple of days it's it's more of the prolonged nature of it too and i think it's talking about that prolonged nature and probably also talking about the the um impact to the human body and how it responds to heat. And there is a difference, I'm not an expert on it, but there's a difference between um, the impact of say something that's like 35 C or, or in the you know low nineties or upper eighties to something that's a hundred C on the human or not a hundred C that would be obviously an impact a hundred Fahrenheit on the human body um, and how that, and how that changes things. It really does uh, significantly increase the impact on people, especially vulnerable populations as you head past um, 40 C or hundred or so Fahrenheit. Oh, absolutely. Jamie? Yeah, and, and we actually, we touched on this with Joe back at the beginning of the summer. Um, we did an episode, we talked a little bit about heat injury and things. And, and you know, one of the things that's so so damaging in these prolonged weather situations, and we talked about this some already, is when the temperature doesn't dip very far at night and stays relatively hot, um, There's there's no... There's no none of that time for the body to recover and cool itself and regain some of its resources and, and resilience personally. And so then that that turns into um, a, a, a multiple multiplicative factor for the next day when it's hot again. And so, you know, it, if it doesn't cool at night or you can't get cool at night for whatever reason, um, that next day becomes even worse, even if it wasn't any higher than the day before. Um, and, and that can compound over time for lo- prolonged events. And, and we look at like the, out- I don't know what the outlook is, Dan, for the rest of Southern Europe, but I know that, you know, Spain, Portugal, Italy, Greece are all really in Southern France are all still dealing with extreme temperatures at this time, even though the UK and Germany and some of the other Northern European countries are not having as much to deal with. Well, yeah, that's a great point, J- the Jamie. Just sleep oh, that. sorry, Sam. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to add on that it, in those conditions, people can't sleep either, and that's going to add to their detriment. Yeah, hundred percent, Sam. The 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 uh, you know the overnight low temperatures is is definitely a a major part of this. Um, and yeah, as J- as Jamie was mentioning, it's 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 a uh, it's a I, you know the news story has been that the UK has has cooled off. Um, 
but there's a lot of heat still in a lot of other parts of Europe, um, including places like parts of southern France and Poland and Germany, where the heat will either it may have relaxed briefly, but will build again um, into next week. Um, if you look at Madrid, which gets hot in the summer, but they've had the majority of their days in July have been over 100 Fahrenheit so far, which is very impressive for them. So there's a lot of heat across much of Europe, and that's and that's a uh, it's going to continue for another week or so, at least. Dan, what about air quality issues? Chris brought that up in the chat, and and that's something that you you know you all talk about a lot in meteorological circles. Um, how does how does extreme heat affect air quality as well? Yeah, I'm not necessarily an expert on on that piece of it, but you can you know you, you tend to get a lot of haze and sort of smog, and um, the the air can be. I, I guess a general explanation could be in in if you're in a situation with prolonged heat, you typically don't have a lot of air movement because you're not having like fronts pass through that brings new air masses in. There's not a lot of wind usually. So you can really just, the, the air mass sort of sits and anything that's polluting the air, um, different pollutants just build up in the area and there's not a lot of circulation in the atmosphere to move it along. So that's how you can get some significantly poor air quality. And another thing I wanted to mention that um, in terms of this, um, both overnight temperatures and daytime temperatures, but I was thinking a lot about just temperatures generally in cities that that urban planning here is, is an important piece of this that um, we see warmer temperatures in cities because of the urban heat island effect where because of the man-made um, infrastructure the pavement the buildings all those things don't do a great job cooling down um, so they tend to absorb heat and they retain heat uh, so envisioning cities that have more green space and and um, that type of thing can can help somewhat in this situation too, and also provide cooler spots for people to to uh, visit while they're in the city. There you go, Chris. <laughs> work on that. But how has the air quality been? I haven't, haven't got the data yet, but we certainly certainly see it. It's one of those sort of risks that co comes with heat waves, as, as, as Dan said, that that standing air that air that's not moving very much you know it gets warmer and and we just see those impacts coming in it's just again it's it's another layer to the to, to the risk matrix that we've got to try and un understand and and try and plan and cope with well i got one last question for you how is this affecting ems providers and and firefighters i can imagine and them working a fire and in, in, uh, in their turnout gear with this kind of heat. Has that been an issue? So certainly when I, I saw a few of uh, our fire service colleagues yesterday um, uh, at a meeting we were at all day, um, they looked tired um, and had been out, you know, you know, out quite late. And yes, it has been affecting all of them because again you know without ems colleagues you know in the ambulance services in the fire services even in the police you can't just put shorts on you know it's ppe for a reason so you know they, they've been out there and you know the voluntary sector and local uh residents have all stepped up in helping to you know water them make sure they've got the fluids drinks and looking after the that level of community spirit wrapping around to support them doing their job has has, has been incredible to see and you know again we should be very thankful for the efforts our, our emergency services have put in over the last few days but it it just you know Monday Tuesday I think they went for job to job to job just trying to put it out and trying to get get them damped down before moving on to the next one it, it, it was it was incredible in fact I think uh, I saw a quote from the mayor of London 
where Monday and Tuesday was the busiest time for the fire service in London since uh, World War Two. Since the blitz of World War Two, that the level of call, call outs they were having, which I think just puts it into perspective a little bit. Oh my God! Well, I'm glad to hear the community's taking care of them. Um, we got to wind down here, although I hate to. Um, any final comments, Becky? I, I think this has been a fantastic episode. I think it's really valuable to hear perspectives from other countries, um, particularly ones that are very much un, not used to dealing with with this. And I, I really think it does put into context, you know, kind of the precipice that we're on with the climate crisis. And this is only going to become more common. And so, how do we how do we adapt? And you know, people like Chris are right there, you know, leading the charge and figuring out, you know, what are we going to do differently next time? And I think that's just really, really valuable information to have. So thank you for sharing. Dan? I second what Becky said. I have nothing further to add. That was well stated. Well, Chris, I wish you well. I, we really appreciate you coming on and getting your first-person perspective. And you are in a position to do good things, and I, I'm sure that you will. So we wish you the best and stay cool and <laughs> let us know if we need to send you a fan or something. I don't know. Jamie? <laughs> yeah, Chris, thanks so much for, for jumping on with us. I know it's late for you there. Um, I'll just kind of wrap up here real quick. Um, I want to thank, um, as always, Dr. Joe Holly and the folks over at Paragon Medical Group for their continued support of bringing us um, this podcast every week for people. And um, we do want to thank him for that. Make sure you check out the availability of some of the amazing educational resources they have. Um, they can customize these things to fit your specific jurisdiction's needs. So check them out at paragonmedicalgroup.com or over at um, Facebook at Paragon Medical Group. And you can also reach them via our Facebook group itself, or you can reach them through the links over at disasterpodcast.com. Um, Chris, is there a way that folks can kind of see what you're up to or, or um, check in on how things are going? And maybe there's a resource you'd like to give us um, where we can follow what's going on in the UK? I, so you, you could normally find me in the uh, podcast face group or, or obviously on LinkedIn. Um, I'm hanging around on there. Um, but I will put some links in the chat to the Met Office guidance and the uh, UK HSA guidance which you know if people are interested in how we plan for it it's really good resources in there it's a really good health resources that you know i think are worth sharing far and wide excellent and um you know, i'll just second that to folks um, want to reach out to chris they can always catch up with him and ask questions on this episode in the uh, facebook group and uh, we can get those answers for you um becky where can folks find you folks can find me over on twitter at wx underscore bex and the disaster podcast facebook group and Dan you can find me on Twitter at WX Depot, D E P O and on the disaster podcast, Facebook group. And last but not least, Sam, how, how about you? Well, in all of those places under Sam Bradley or Sam Bradley 11. And what about you, Jamie? You can find me under the handle Podmedic in a lot of places out there, but um, definitely in the Facebook group for the Disaster Podcast. Just go to Facebook, search for Disaster Podcast. As far as I know, there's only one Disaster Podcast Facebook group. Um, so uh, come on in and join us there and um, check out the resources. And, and, of course, a lot of our guests from most of our episodes are available to uh, touch base with on the Facebook group. If you can't reach them, reach out to Samurai, and we will um, get them 
to um, respond back or get an answer directly from them, we can copy into the group. So it's a great way to keep in touch with folks. Um, Anyway, Sam, um, I'm glad we got this episode pulled together and we're able to uh, get Chris to stay up a little later than usual, perhaps, and, and, and come on the show with us. Well, and I hope the next time we talk to Chris, it isn't because there's some kind of weather crisis. So we, <laughs> you can all go in, go into the Facebook group and, and uh, give him your best and everyone else in the UK and and everywhere else around there that's suffering from this heat wave. So, And, you know, it's still summer here. It's still hot. So for those of us in the U.S., stay cool, stay prepared. 